Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Online security starts with a click. NordVPN encrypts your internet traffic and hides your IP and virtual location. NordVPN helps protect you against bandwidth throttling from internet providers, where ISPs slow down your internet to get you to upgrade. NordVPN allows you to switch your, your country's IP address to access Netflix, Disney+, YouTube Premium, etc. in other countries for cheaper prices. NordVPN offers unparalleled browsing security and protection from hacking of personal data. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN to get a discount on your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift at checkout. All of this is completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN and start saving with the world's leading VPN provider, NordVPN. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561-408-7835. Water cleanup of Florida. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match 
up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. This is this is some type of record. This because this is like two weeks in a row now. Everybody hey, is here. You're making us sound like total slackers. Well, yeah, it's the oh, well, off season. It, are you saying if the shoe fits? Yeah, it's the <laughs> off season. I am a total slacker, mate. Okay, well that's that's fair. As always, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Use promo code 5RSN, get 20% off your entire order. All right, uh, a trade was made. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Russell Wilson is headed to the Denver Broncos. Now, it depends on on who you talk to. If you talk to Dolphin fans, uh, it's the end of the world, and we're not going to the playoffs uh, anytime this decade, at least. But I don't know. Uh, I guess we could start there and then we'll talk about the trade, but I think this is actually a good thing. That AFC West is now a, a complete bloodbath. And now the battle for third and fourth essentially puts them out of the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, Simon, how do you read the injection of Russell Wilson into the AFC? Uh, I think it's difficult for Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins fans, actually, I don't agree with you. I think, um, yeah, it's a bloodbath, but it's still, you know, it, the playoffs is still the playoffs. And, you know, teams with good records go to the playoffs and teams that don't, don't. Uh, Denver are now, uh, you know, they're going to be one of the shorter price teams to to win the division, to go all the way. They've got, uh, they're a team that's built, you know, to go deep into the playoffs now. They've got a Hall of Fame quarterback. They've got a good running game. They've got good receivers. You know, obviously there's a tight end situation without Noah Fan. The defense is, is strong at all three levels. Um, they added a really good corner in Pat Satan. Uh, they've got, arguably the best safety in the NFL in Justin Simmons, a good kicking game. So yeah, I mean, I think they're a really good team and it's, um, you know, it's going to be difficult. Charlie Chubb is asking for a new contract, right? Like that's going to be the next expensive guy for them. Right. And, or did I just make that up? Um, You probably didn't make it up, but I mean, was he probably still got two years? I could have swore he was yeah. up and bitching about his contract like right now, but let me let me go well, check. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, he's on the last year of his contract. And, and oh, okay, yeah, well, there it is. The last year, and this is this is the fifth year option year, so it's like the fourteen million dollar year. I mean, nobody nobody these players they want their they want their extensions yesterday, so it's not surprising. Um, and and this is a this would be a great time to do it, and I think the the Denver Broncos would have the leverage of that fifth year already at 14 million to you know as a basis for the the conversation so how do you read this chris as far as the competition in the afc russell wilson and and denver well on the one hand you know it's like you know god do we have to get every good quarterback in the afc um and on the other hand you know i'm i'm like I'm inclined to tell even myself to quit your bitching because like, you know, big Ben got fat and he's retiring and Deshaun Watson is going to jail. Um, and well, I don't know. I don't know if that's really true, but, um, and Tom Brady left. 
So, you know, there, there's been a changing, there's been a little bit of a changing regard in, in, in the AFC. And so it's, it's like, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't like seeing, um, seeing Russell Wilson in the, in the conference, but it's, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be something that just really, really kills everybody or makes everybody in a depressed state for sure. Uh, I think, you know, aside from, I mean, the Chargers, let's take the Chargers as for instance, and then we're talking about AFC West. I mean, we know how good Justin Herbert has been playing. But at the same time, they've yet, they didn't make the playoffs this year. And um, they've yet to make the playoffs, really. Uh, and, you know, they barely produced a winning season this year. And that's before the, having to deal with, um, with what's his name now in the division, Russell, Russell Wilson in the division. So are the Chargers supplanting people? Um, you know, who knows? Uh, we'll see. And we'll see if Tennessee can keep it up. You know, that's just, it's just the way it goes. I mean, it's, we've got Josh Allen to contend with. That's what, that's what we should primarily be worried about. That's it. Yeah. That's our, that's our white whale. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. Josh Allen. And, and it's bad enough because yeah. he, he destroys us even when <laughs> Absolutely. he sucks. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then he can't get past Mahomes. Yeah, the, the way I read this is pretty simple. I think they just replaced the Raiders. Raiders were in the playoffs last year. And I, th- I think one team is ready for a precipitous drop, and it's probably going to be the Raiders. They just fired their coach. They're hiring a new – they hired McDaniels. And then they, they fired um, uh, Mike Mayock. So there might be a little bit of a reset there. Who knows if they even put Derek Carr up for sale which it might make sense. I think that, you know, it's they're just going to replace the Raiders and we're back to square one on that in that division. But I do think that the, some more losses are coming. Think of it. Think of this. The Kansas City Chiefs haven't lost to the Denver Broncos in, what is it, six years? Well, maybe there, there's a loss coming now. So, I don't know. I think it evens out the playing field a little bit, and I think it really downgrades the, the Raiders. But very briefly, I think we could touch on this. Uh, Seattle's completely incompetent, right, Simon? Right. Uh, like this is this is pretty bad management, and I don't know why Pete Carroll is even sticking around for this because they're just replacing the two picks that they threw away for a linebacker masquerading as a strong safety, and they had to trade their Hall of Fame quarterback at thirty. What is he? Thirty-two or thirty-three right now? Which means he has at least a good five seasons left. This is um, just this is bad, isn't it? I don't think it's a great trade. Um, I don't. It's difficult to shit on Pete Carroll and John Schneider completely, mm. given what they've done and the roster yeah. that they built. And um, I thought there was some, you know, interesting and kind of. I mean, I think if you're a Seahawks fan, it's probably not cool synergy. But yesterday with. Wilson walking in the building on the same day as Bobby Wagner 12 years ago, and they both left the team on the same day 12 years later, both having Hall of Fame careers and a Super Bowl ring in their pocket, you know. Um, but it's hard to shit on a team that built, you know, what they did with that defense. L. Thomas, Cam Chancellor, you know, Maxwell, all those great players, Wagner, um, Wright, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't like the trade particularly. I, I wouldn't be happy if I was, a, I mean, I wouldn't be happy anyway if I was a Seahawks fan losing. You know, losing my quarterback. It was clear he wasn't happy, though. Um, and at some point, the rubber's got to meet the road on those sorts of things. You know, 
the, the three players that they got, Drew Lock, you know, Drew Lock will probably get a shot to start in Seattle, but you know, he doesn't look like he's going to be anything much more than a than a backup, change of pace kind of quarterback to come off the bench uh, in a pinch. You know, Shelby Harris is a decent player. Noah Fant's got upside, but has been injured. Um, and then you're getting two first, two second, and a fifth rounder. Um, then they two, had to give back a fourth, and they give back a fourth as well. Um, you know, this is a, isn't a great quarterback draft this year. Yep. Um, I know that the Seahawks, because my good friend Rob Statton has told me this, that the Seahawks are very interested in Matt Corral. Um, maybe they take Matt Corral this year, or obviously they're in a situation next year where, like us, they have at least two first-round picks. You know, they might deal a, a first-rounder this year um, for another one next year in a draft that has Bryce Young, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, CJ Stroud, Grayson McCall, uh, Phil Djokovic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so at this point, as we sit here today, it looks like a stronger draft for quarterbacks next year. Maybe they kick that can down the road uh, and they give Drew Locke a year. So who knows? But yeah, I wouldn't be very happy if I was a Seahawks fan, but I, I kind of find it difficult to shit on a, you know, um, I mean, look, for me, probably I'd have moved on from Pete Carroll anyway, but it was clear that situation with Russell was has been um, cooking for a few months now. It's clear that he wasn't happy. There was stuff coming out of the press all the time. It was clear that they were comfortable moving on. I- I'm interested to know what the deal was from Washington um, in terms of, you know, because Seattle turned down a massive deal from Washington three or four days ago. Um, you know, but it, it feels like Seattle wanted picks rather than play, uh, players as much as they wanted picks. And it felt like Washington, um, one of the rumours I heard was that Seattle asked for, for Terry McLaurin and that was turned down, um, especially with with um, Tyler Lockett being 30. I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me to see Tyler Lockett turning up in Denver um, if the rumours about him being traded are true. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be happy if I was a Seahawks fan, but then I wouldn't be happy anyway if we traded our Hall of Fame quarterback in his early 30s. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, NFL Network is saying that that the the Washington, well, they're not the Washington football team anymore. They're the commanders. The commanders, I, I can't get used to that, offered uh, pretty much the same deal, maybe a little bit better, but Seattle decided against it because they didn't want to trade Russell inside the conference, which kind of makes sense. Like you don't want you don't want him hunting you for the next five years in the same conference, beating you consistently year in and year out. So that makes a little sense, but yeah, I don't uh, Jamal Adams, that pick, man, if, if I'm right, one of those Jamal Adams picks, isn't that number three this year going to the jets? Is that right? Could be. That's just awful. <laughs> That's just like, can you imagine that? Well, Houston did something similar <laughs> with us. It's yeah. four, but yeah. Number four. Ooh. Oh, well, Actually, wait. So the the one no the the one that they gave up for Jamal Adams that's actually number ten. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's not that's not the the four pick the four pick that the Jets have is their natural pick because they suck okay. so bad. Okay. Um, yeah, cause Seattle so, wasn't yeah. very good, but they did win like two of the last three or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean Seattle. Um, what, what were they? Yeah, I, I can't remember what their actual record. That, they, was, I think they were yeah. five and twelve or something like that. They were gonna they were gonna pick number ten overall, but now they now they have number nine overall instead. And kind of, frankly, I wonder if they um, if they could they could go for uh, Malik Willis there um, at number nine. I mean, it's just just a curiosity, really, of mine. Um, there, there's some synergy, I think, um, in terms of what they've what they've been running and what what he could run. But um, 
Yeah. Just to point out Derek Carr as well. I mean, Carr has probably got to be the best quarterback ever to be the worst quarterback in his division. <laughs> yeah, right? That's a good one. I mean, I, I like Derek Carr. I think he's an upper echelon quarterback. Um, you know, I think you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. But, you know, he's the worst quarterback in his division, which is some statement given the fact that he's an upper echelon NFL quarterback. I can't think of many other situations where... And he just had a monster year, too. Like, yeah, like he, he was great yeah. this past season. Well, he's had a monster two years, but he was really good last season. Um, and he's absolutely beloved by his players. You know, he's an absolute... Um, apparently a bit of a gem of a human being as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, I can't think of anybody else who's as good as Carr is to be the worst in his, in his division. Yeah. And uh, although, you know, all these quarterbacks in the AFC, uh, one listener of ours uh, sent us a, a tweet, which kind of made a lot of sense. Cause I remember, I, I remember these days and I lived through it. And he said, there was a time where the AFC had Dan Marino, Jim Kelly and John Elway. And never won any of the Super Bowls as the NFC kept winning with Mark Ripien, uh, later Troy Aikman, Joe Montana, Steve Young. So, yeah, it's it's not all roses, but that division is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Moving on to the Dolphins. Speaking of bloodbath, for months, and I guess we'll start with Emmanuel Ogba, for months we've been hearing, yeah, yeah the you know, it's going to happen. Deal's going to, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But then Harold Landry signs a deal. And all of a sudden, we hear from Drew Rosenhaus, they will not tag Emmanuel Agua, which was predictable. But the clock's ticking. And as we record this, it's March 9th. League year starts March 16th. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a deal for Emmanuel Agua. How do you read this, Simon? Because if he makes it to market, we just saw what Harold Landry got. And we're talking about an excess of $52 million guaranteed. Uh, House might have priced Emmanuel Ogba out of Miami. How do you read I, this situation? I think the market probably priced Ogba out of Miami, if I'm honest. And I also don't think the Harold Landry deal had anything to do with it. I think it has been coming pretty clear over the last 10 days that the market was going to be higher, especially when you go through the combine. The market was going to be higher probably than what Miami thought it was going to be because obviously there's a the premium on on guys that can rush the passer. Ogba's versatile. You know, he's not the quickest twitch. He's not the bendiest. He's got a bit a little bit of stiffness in his ankles when he gets to the top of the arc. But he's a good player. He's a good solid player. He can play run well. He can play across multiple fronts. He can he gets his hands up and knocks balls down. Seems like a good guy. Um but I think it's becoming clear and it certainly became clear down the stretch that Jalen Phillips is probably going to be the premier pass rusher. And I don't necessarily believe it's a system that uh, needs um, two big-time edge rushers for it to be successful because you're getting so much pressure from elsewhere. You're getting pressure from the secondary, whether that's Holland, whether that's Jones, whether that's Eric Reed, whether that's the, the nickel corner, the Nick Needham coming on blitzes, Coleman, whether that's Baker, you know, Wilkins and Sealer can rush the passer. So I don't think the defense is predicated on necessarily having two, you know, Big time sack merchants. Obviously, it helps, but you you don't need it. But also, you know, I think this is an incredibly strong draft for outside defenders. You know, you just look at. The, I mean, let's look at the top of the market. If you look at, you know, Hutchinson, Trey Walker, um, Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State kid, Thibodeau, um, Carl Aftis, a Purdue, a Jarbo, Boye Maffei, 
Kingsley and Eggbar, you know, Ebiquete of Penn State, my Jay Sanders. I mean, you know, Nick Benito's got the quickest first step in the draft. Sam Williams, who ran, you know, out the window at the combine. These are, you know, there's there's guys who can pressure off the edge and you're going to get, you know, it's such a deep class that you're going to get likely late first round talent in the early to mid third round. Um, so I'm not too worried about it, but I think he was priced out of the market by the market, essentially. And I, it feels to me over the last 72 hours that the, I don't know what you think, Chris, but it feels to me like the Emmanuel Ogba money might be being parlayed potentially into the JC Jackson money, which mm. obviously then brings a discussion about Byron Jones and whether or not they try and, you know, move Byron. Um, I think I'm right in saying that he only has a year of guaranteed money left on his contract. So the number looks big, but actually it's only a year of guaranteed money. I think if Miami cut him, it's like a 12 million pound. Well, it's, it's, it's currently, it's only half of this year is guaranteed so far. The other half, the other half or or the rest of it, um, not even half of it. I think the rest of it gets guaranteed on March 18th, I believe. So if they do something before then. But it's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, because, I'm not saying that that Ogba gets coverage sacks, but certainly great coverage helps. But when you can have two ball hawk corners, if you bring in JC Jackson and Xavier Howard, they are the two guys over the last three seasons that have more interceptions than anybody. Uh, and you, you tie them together, you're looking at like what 40 plus picks, 45 picks over the last three seasons with the two of them put together. I'll, I'll do the sums before the end of the show. But um, you know, and as much as I like Byron Jones, and I do he is not a turnover machine by any stretch of the imagination. So I think, you know, in a way that almost helps the situation in terms of, you know, if you lose Ogba, but you gain a JC Jackson and you move a Byron Jones, you know, you can either look at bringing in a, you know, an end, whether that's a veteran end, like a Jason Pierre Paul or something like that, who can man that position opposite Phillips, bring a bit of veteran leadership can help train Phillips up, but also, you know, like I said, it's a deep draft. And, you know, even if you get into, you know, late day two, early day threes, you've got the, you know, the Jesse Lucchettas at Penn State and the, you know, Josh Pascals at Kentucky and, you know, guys like that. So um, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Yes, you'd love to keep, you, you want to keep good football players on the team. Um, but I don't think it's the end of the world um, if Emmanuel Ogba ends up leaving. Yeah, some of the numbers that that I had heard was somewhere around 15 mil a year average and 35 guaranteed. Uh, I don't think that gets a ton. If if you know if we're putting any stock into what you know what we're hearing out there, I guess Drew has him convinced, and Drew is probably right. Drew Rosenhaus is a fabulous agent; like he knows what the hell he's doing. So I, I'm pretty sure he has a good idea on the market. I believe uh, David Cantor was the one who had Olivier Vernon, and he correctly judged the the market back then. Dolphins felt a little bit, um, I guess, spurned uh, at the time because they thought that they kind of had a deal with Olivier Vernon, and then uh, David Cantor correctly put him out into the market. I think this is the same thing. I, I think the same thing is happening in this case, and I wouldn't be surprised if Emmanuel Agba is elsewhere. Uh, your thoughts, Chris? It doesn't look good, or you have a different perspective? No, I don't think. I, I think it doesn't. It doesn't look good for his being back, and I think the Dolphins are are confident about it. And I think the point that Simon hit is really about the draft, about the fact that 
you know, you could argue, you could argue something like anywhere between anywhere between 15 and, you know, 15 and maybe up to 20 of the, the top, you know, hundred, hundred talents in the draft are going to be edge players. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're, and they're, they're really, it's really, I mean, the fact that you can get Josh Pascal where, where people are talking about him and, and, you know, day two, um, says something to me and I, that just to, just to bring out one example. Uh, so yeah, it's a combination of things. It's, you've got a massive rise in the salary cap that, has happened after last year, the, with the pandemic, there was a flatness and the salary cap growth. There's a massive rise this year and an even, you know, and just as big of a rise, I believe just as big of a rise um, kind of forecasted next year. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's going to be money flying out the door in free agency and he's a free agent during, during a, a really, a really good time to be a free agent. So, um, so I think that that's, uh, that's what the dolphins are looking at. That it's, it's the timing that way. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money out there. And yet they have internal options having planned ahead and gotten Jalen Phillips, um, gotten more, gotten a little bit more encouraging stuff out of Andrew Van Ginkle as the year went on. And then they have, guys like Zach Sealer who can play the ed who can play defensive end. And, um, and so, you know, we've talked about like Calais Campbell, for example, um, Calais Campbell is obviously not going to have anything to do with Emmanuel Agba, but he is going to have something to do with Emmanuel Agba. If like he inserts into the middle and, and allows Zach Sealer to play some, some on the, some more on the end, um, you know, maybe on rundowns and such. And, uh, and, and then they can focus on, um, on, a true edge player like uh, Andrew Van Ginkle and Jalen Phillips being pass rushers on, on pass downs. I mean, it's, it all kind of displaces. So, um, so the dolphins have options. They can get somebody in the draft uh, on day two and, and feel pretty comfortable about it. And, um, and that's, that's making for, that's making for this situation. And, and on the other side, the flip side of it is, you know, this, this uh, franchise tag is over $20 million. So they're not going to place the franchise tag on um, on Emmanuel Agba. They're placed it instead on Mike Gesicki, whose franchise tag is only eleven million dollars. You know, so it's it's half as much. So um, and that's you know that's that's probably something we should talk about too is Mike Gesicki. So um, and and tagging him, but you know, I think that I think he's probably gone. I think this feels a lot like um, like what's his name, Olivier Vernon. Yeah. yeah, the other thing you might see is when you talk about the draft is you might see some of those sort of tweenier defensive tackles. Um, mm. You know, take a Demarvin Leal at two hundred eighty-three pounds, or a Logan Hall at two seventy-five, or Leal played know. all outside linebacker. Yeah, I know he did. I mean, Matt, Matt Carter at Florida, uh, you know, really good player at two hundred eighty-two pounds. Um, there's the kid at Rutgers, Efine Myjay. Um, mm who's a really good player is 285 pounds. Um, I mean, there's other guys, you know, Demetrius Taylor, Appalachian state, 295 pounds, LeBron Ray, if he's healthy, Alabama, 283 pounds. You know, this was the number one recruit in the nation when he came out. Yes. He's had injuries, but these are kind of guys that you think actually is three, four, the Dolphins front is very unusual because it looks like we run, we say we run a three, four, we look like we run a four. It's, it's all mix and match with, mainly oftentimes six defensive backs for those guys who kind of just drift in and out of the game in terms of they're not, aren't really interested in the X and O's. But these are, you know, 
college DTs who can reduce outside to play run defensive end when you know that you can get to the quarterback with with Ginkle, Van Ginkle. You know you can get to the quarterback potentially with Vince Beagle if he's still on the roster. You can obviously do it with Jalen Phillips. You can obviously do it with Baker. You know, the, there are a lot of really fast uh, linebackers, inside linebackers in this draft. And, you know, if you're going to move on from a Landon Roberts, who's a free agent, it looks like you do. All of a sudden, you know, you're looking at, I mean, Christ, it's heat seekers at linebacker. You know, Devin Lloyd, it's Nicobe Dean, it's Brandon Smith, it's Quay Walker, it's Channing Tindall, it's Chad Moomer. It, you know, this draft is absolutely just... Um, Leo Chanel, the, the Wisconsin guy, this draft is absolutely rammed with these guys who can get to the quarterback from, from linebacker. And then you've got the bonus ball, as I said, of, you know, the Brandon Joneses, the Javon Hollands, all those guys blitzing from, from the secondary. So I don't think it's that much of an issue to lose Emmanuel Ogba. I really don't, like I said, you want to keep as many good players as possible. I think there are ways and means of being able to, to move along and whether that is you know reducing down a, or reducing out a defensive tackle who's a bit undersized, a bit of a tweener, but would fit perfectly in the 34 front. I think you might well see that, especially on day two or early day three. Yeah, I think that the defense is going to move more toward uh, a, a role-based uh, defense, especially on the defensive line. Like they're going to need a guy that can play five tech and out uh, as opposed to Jalen Phillips, who we saw toward the end of the year, even playing three tech and being really effective as a pass rusher, as a defensive tackle and three technique. So, yeah, they're going to need, you know, they're going to need they're going to they're going to be short of player, obviously, if Emmanuel Agba goes elsewhere. But you just got to look at it and say, well, you know, you just opened up a seventy seven million dollar salary slot. And with the upgrade on the, the salary cap, you could even spend up to ten million dollars on Emmanuel Agba's replacement or just use that money elsewhere. And before we get into Gasecki, a lot of Dolphin fans saw Bobby Wagner get cut, Simon. And I guess we'll start with you there. And they just have, you know, they have these images dancing in their head of Jerome Baker and Bobby Wagner. And I got to admit, as soon as he got cut, I thought it as I thought about it as well. But it seems like he's coming to the end of it, right? Because I saw him play a couple of times last year. I was kind of underwhelmed. He did have a career high in tackles, but he wasn't very good, and that defense wasn't very good. Uh, your thoughts on Bobby Wagner hitting the market, Simon? Yeah, I think he's a great player. I think he's a generational linebacker, and I think he walks into the Hall of Fame. I genuinely do. Yeah. I think he's been, you know, just an absolutely outstanding, outstanding player. Um, but um, I thought he was hesitant last year. He was far less aggressive. He didn't make anywhere near enough plays, and his best days certainly seen behind him. And as Chris said, you know, when you fall off at linebacker, especially inside linebacker, you, you, it, I can't think historically there's too many players fall back in again, especially he'll be 32 at the start of the season. You know, somebody somebody mentioned, oh, Takeo Spikes. Well, Takeo Spikes went to San Francisco and had 18 months, but he played alongside Patrick Willis. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could, you know, play half-decent middle linebacker alongside Patrick <laughs> Willis. Um, you know, the, there are not too many. Um you know, and Omar uh, Omar Kelly was talking about how he had 170 tackles last season, uh, and that's true. You know, but both linebackers collected an obscene number of tackles. Jordan Brooks actually had more than Bobby Wagner, but it was essentially down to the fact that Seattle couldn't get off the field and they weren't good enough up front. Historically, they just weren't good enough up front. And I reached out to a mate, um, Rob Staten, who's a great Seahawks follower and a, a really just a really good dude. And, and he was like, you know, I, I I kind of read verbatim here, but he said, I don't really think people truly appreciate how poorly he played in 2021. I spent a lot of time studying him after the season. Um, 
He said, and I was really surprised Wagner actively avoided contact at times. He just didn't look good at all. I can show you examples of him running alongside ball carriers on screens, not attacking lanes to runners, standing off blocks or holding blocks. Um, he said it was just very surprising given how quickly he fell away. Great player, truly great player, but um, I don't think it's one for Miami. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to be cheap either. I think he's going to get you know at least ten million dollars. If you just judging by by what you know what what these guys are getting out there, uh, Von Miller is asking for a lot of money, and Von Miller is also of advanced stage, but probably a little bit more effective and at a more premium position. So so he's not going to be cheap either. Like so, everybody's thinking, ah, oh, you, you get him for like five six million dollars. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Bobby Wagner could get something in in somewhere around twenty two for two. And that's a lot of money, especially for this system to play middle linebacker alongside Jerome Baker. Uh, Mike Kosecki and Chris, I don't know if you have a thought on Bobby Wagner. If not, let's just get into Mike Kosecki. No, I think uh, Simon said it when it when it goes when it goes for those linebackers, it goes. But the point that you raised even before that was, you know, if you think about the Emmanuel Agba and potentially replacing him, I mean, if you look at the free agent market, it's. There's there's names out there. If you need if you feel like you need like one more year of a guy, then there's some there's some veterans out there. Um, if you feel like you can uncover the next Emmanuel Agba, there's some guys like that, that out there too. They're not and they're not all getting you know that Harold Landry money, um, which I don't think he really. I don't think I thought that was too much um, for him. But uh, you know, you, there's there's even three guys just on the Colts that are all, uh, that are all free agents and, and, you know, all have their own, um, their own, uh, positive points. And, um, so I, I think, yeah, you can probably replace him even in free agency at a sort of a mid-level price. Yeah. Now, while, while months for months, we've been hearing that they're kind of close They're they're going to hash it out. They're going to, you know, put together a deal for to keep Emmanuel Ogba here. We've never heard anything on, on Mike Gusecki. And we kind of knew for weeks now that, yeah, we were likely headed toward a tag. Uh, your thoughts on, on the tight end tag being placed on Mike Gusecki. Uh, first of all, do you think he'll file, file a grievance and his, I don't, I don't, I don't know that he will. I, it's being tossed around out there, but I think it's interesting that it's being tossed around out there and, and like almost taken for almost taken for a given that it's happening. And I don't know that that's actually true. Um, certainly he could. And certainly I think he, he, he and his agent might've expressed that sentiment before. Of course they would. The, the wide receiver franchise tag is worth $8 million more. Um, and it, it costs nothing for them to, to, to pursue that and file a grievance. And I don't think it's going to bend anybody's noses the wrong way. This business is not personal. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, certainly he, he could think about pursuing it, but, um, he, he doesn't have much chance of winning it. And I think there's a really big framing issue that's going on over there because everybody's obsessed with, you know, oh, he, he spends, you know, 80, 85% of his time in the slot or um or out wide but you know when he when he's <laughs> when he's in the slot he's um he's in a, he's in a tight end position he's still kind of he's still close to the uh to the to the formation uh running tight end routes uh any coach would would look at that and say yeah he's a tight end um i think that if you look at the fact that over the last four years he's played you know nearly 600 snaps 
at an actual, you know, attached to the line tight end position or in the, as a fullback, you know, or as an offensive tackle, you know, in uh, unbalanced situations, um, then, and, and say, well, let's, let's look at the other side of this. And, and you tell me, you tell me any wide receiver whatsoever that comes even close to that, you know, like forget, let's forget, oh, he's, you know, he's 80, 85%, you know, doing, doing what some wide receivers do. Well, first off, that's not even really true, but second, let's, let's look at the wide receivers out there and say, is there any wide receiver at all? That does um, that does the the things uh, lines up in the places that Mike Kosicki has been lining up for the last four years, and the answer is no. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that for you. No, there's there's and, and it's not even close. It is not even close. So um, so I think that uh, he's he, he stands zero chance of winning that almost zero chance of winning that grievance if he does file it, and I think the Dolphins have to know that. I mean, they probably wouldn't have they probably wouldn't have franchised him to begin with if they if they thought he was going to file a grievance, because that just wastes everybody. If they thought he was going to win a grievance, I'm sorry. Um, that just wastes everybody time, you know, that wastes the dolphins time because the grievance isn't going to be, isn't going to be, um, you know, all settled out for months, like till the summer. And, uh, and in the meantime, you know, say he does win the grievance, uh, then the dolphins will just rescind the tag and, and they'll be, you could say they'll be fine, but they'll have wasted a lot of time thinking that Mike Kosicki is here and, you know, setting aside a salary cap space for that franchise tag and they'll have wasted their time. They'll avoid, he'll have wasted Mike Gasicki himself will have wasted his own time because they will be hitting the market at a time when, uh, when the money is dried up and, um, and nobody's happy really. So, uh, so I think that the dolphins probably know their leverage here and they knew it before they tagged them. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is not actually a grievance filed, Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, I made this point is I think we get a little bit, we got a little bit too caught up in the whole, the whole blocking thing and whether he fits, um, this new offense because of blocking. Uh, whereas, you know, I think we, we, we should have spun it around a little bit more like, and and I've done some things talking about, you know, oh, this, this offense likes to run likes to run wide zone to the weak side. And, and that means that, you know, Gasicki's blocking might not be as important as people think. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, and Jacob Tammy and, and other Jordan Cameron, and other examples of guys that have played in this offense that have been like Mike Gasicki. There's all that, but we have to twist it around and, and say, well, okay, but what, what would Mike McDaniel look at and say, I need that about Mike Gasicki. Like, like what would he look at positively and look at what he can do and say, I need that on my team. And this is why, you know, and, and I think the thing that that's sort of the perspective that we've been missing um, because I think it all, it, it does come down to Jalen Waddle and the fact that Jalen Waddle can do, you know, almost anything as a wide receiver uh, and line up in any position as a wide receiver. He was, we knew he could take the top off the defense and he could also take screens and jet sweeps and stuff like that from Alabama. We knew that at Alabama, Um but what we might not have known until after his rookie year, when he catches a hundred balls, you know, for, for only like a thousand yards is that he's also your possession guy. And the guy just gets open when you really need it, you know, and that's um, and that means that he can work the X position, which is a high usage position in this offense in particular, he can obviously work the Z position and try and, you know, and, and run deep and, and uh, keep the defense honest and, and uh, blow the top off the defense if he gets lucky. Um, and then, uh, and then he, he, he could, he did play the slot and he was a possession guy. He was a guy that moved the chains and got open. 
And then he can do jet sweeps and screens and all, you know, all that he can do anything, but a guy like that, if you just think about it, if you have a guy that you want to move around and do a lot of things with in order to make him shine, the guys that have to play around him also have to be able to move around. And if you, if you surround Jalen Waddle with say a cookie cutter, Y tight end, like a classic Y tight end. Um, and then you surround him with also like a cookie cutter X, you know, like a Devonte Parker, for, for example. And then, you know, let's say you go out there and you're like, okay, well now I need a possession guy. I need a slot guy. I need a Juju Smith Schuster or something like that. If, if you surround him with all those, what happens to Jalen Waddle? He is pigeonholed as the Z. He's pigeonholed as the burner. He's running wind sprints all day to keep the defense honest. It's not a high usage position. And, and so nobody is going to be happy. Everybody is going to feel like, well, why can't you find a way to get the ball to, uh, to, to Jalen Waddle? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a recipe for, um, for a lot of frustration. So I think that they're going to be looking to surround him with versatile players. And on that note, you've got Mike Gesicki, who has played on the line, um, has played move tight end, roll, rolling tight end, uh, you know, F, the F position. He's played, obviously, the slot, the y, um, the y position in the slot. He's played on the perimeter. He's played like an X. He's played, you know, he's, he's done a lot of things. Uh, he's even worked a little bit in the backfield. Um so he's done these things and you can argue this or that about whether, whether he can block and such, but he has the ability to play in all these different spots. And because of that, you're able to move Jalen Waddle around some more and, and do, do different fun stuff with him and, and feature him better. And so the, the chemistry is there. And I think that that alone makes it worth the franchise tag, which is not that expensive. And, um, and I think Miami are probably thinking the same way. I wouldn't be surprised if they they're, they're thinking extend him because he is also sort of a, a model player in, in terms of uh, what he gives to the team uh, playing hurt, you know, what, when he, um, the way that he is in the locker room and, and, you know, speaks up in, in favor or speaks up in defense of his quarterback and, you know, that sort of, he's a, he's a model player and he's a guy that they developed and, and it doesn't say very good things if they're just like, you know, summarily dismissing him, um, without really making an effort. So I think that, uh, I think that it's not terribly surprising that they are making an effort to keep him. And, um, so that's it. Yeah. Now, Simon, uh, they're tagging him, but that begs the question. A lot of people on, on Twitter are, are asking, you know, could this just be a tag and trade? Like, they are are they going to trade him? If you had to guess, in January is Mike Kosecki and Miami Dolphin? Yeah, I think he is. I don't. I just don't think you'll get the requisite value that you want for him back. Um, you know, a team like the Green Bay Packers might be looking at a team like the Denver Broncos, but I, I don't think you're going to get the value back for a guy. It's difficult to replace his catches. Um, and the one thing about Mike Kosecki that we don't talk about is that the clear is a plan. There clearly is a plan to bring in extra weapons to help the quarterback. But, I mean, we need them, right? Currently, the, the two most dangerous players on offense are Waddle and Gesicki. The problem with Gesicki is that he doesn't get amazing separation. He's not really twitchy. He's a long strider. Um, and he's not, you know, he makes a lot of contested catches. And we talk about the one-handed grabs and stuff. Well, 
they're always in heavy coverage. You, you rarely see Mike Kosicki running wide open the same way that you see Travis Kelsey. And, and that's not just schematically. You know, the Dolphins aren't aren't not trying to get him open the way that Kansas City get Travis Kelsey open. It's just that that's not Kosicki's game. But what you'll see is if they bring in extra players, you bring in a, Bur- a Traylon Burks, you bring in a Jameson Williams, you bring in a Juju Smith-Schuster, you bring in a better running back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What you will see is that the guy, you know, who might be the number two corner or the number one safety or the number one slot, slot excuse me who is covering Gasicki now all of a sudden that player has to move outside because they're covering a better receiver or they're covering you know a better slot and then that means Gasicki is getting a worse player going up against him so what you will see is a difference in his role um, but you'll also see him playing against different types of players which I think is going to be very interesting because hopefully it will enable him to get open more easily and quicker than he currently does because I have an issue with the way that you know he'll play big in a couple of games and then Mike he just disappears for two or three weeks um, and then he reappears with a big catch and whatever I, I think what you need from him now and this is the level that he's at you need that consistency week in week out where he's going to show up with five or six you know because he's not a guy that's going to open big holes in the running game he's now got to open up the running game with his ability to, to stretch the field to get open underneath the second level all those sorts of things so it'll be interesting to see how he develops but certainly He's not going to be going up against the caliber of defensive back or linebacker that he's been going up against. So hopefully he'll get more catches. Yeah. On, on Mike Kosecki, the only time I've ever, I've never really been discouraged about anything that Mike Kosecki has ever done here, except one time, which was against the Ravens this past season. They were obsessive about erasing him and they absolutely, absolutely rendered him absolutely useless. And you hardly ever see that with the guys in his class, as far as pass receivers, but maybe that has a lot to do with our offense. You know, maybe our offense, uh, a defense actually can obsess over getting rid of Mike Kosecki and do what they did to him in that game against the Ravens, which was, you know, it was pretty bad. Uh, I I believe, what was it? Three targets, no catches. Like, that's not good. <laughs> okay. Especially when he's, he's a pass catching specialist. Now, Simon, if, if as expected, at least for now, because who knows, maybe things change. Maybe things change. In 24 hours, in 48 hours, maybe Manu Agba tells Drew Rosenhaus, you know, I really want to live in Miami. Let's make a concession here and there. I'll take a million less per season, maybe five million less in guaranteed money. And let's sign the deal that's on the table with the Dolphins. I doubt it. But if, in fact, he is going elsewhere, how do they seek to replace him? What's out there to replace him with? Well, I'll just give you three names of, of players who I think, you know, based on what I said earlier on in terms of, you know, how they'll make it work, you know, and the, the fact that you don't need a TJ Watt on the other side. Solomon Thomas is one name, coming off his best season with the Raiders, signed a one-year contract. Obviously, Mike McDaniel knows him really well. Great guy, great leader. I think he had three and a half, maybe four and a half sacks, played the run really well last season, inside-outside versatility in terms of being able to play as a 34, as an uh, odd front defensive end. And then a couple of guys, a guy I really like who's completely under the radar is Rasheem Green of Seattle. He's 277 pounds. He's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting player. I think he's somebody that will get more money than, you know, when he he signs, I don't think the average fan is going to know you know, he's going to sign a decent contract and the average fan is going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? He's 24 and a half. You know, he can play inside. He can play outside and rush as a wide nine. He can play, you know, as a seven. Uh, he can win outside. Uh, he's athletic. He's big. And you can play him all over the defensive front. And that's kind of what we do with our guys. Versatile. 
um, athletic, can play the run. And the other guy is Dorrance Armstrong, um, who plays with the Cowboys. And all these guys have had... Rasheen Green had... Uh, let me look at the snap count, actually. So... Um, Ogba had 755 snaps last season. Solomon Thomas had 554. Um, and the guy I've just mentioned from Seattle had 850 snaps last season. Um, you know, so these are, you know, these are not guys who are just playing like occasional, you know, coming in and playing a few snaps a game or playing some special teams or whatever. These are guys who are registering some serious, uh, some serious snaps. So I, I, I you know, just a couple of under the radar guys, one that, you know, the coach is going to know all about, obviously in Solomon Thomas. Um, but I just don't think they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be splashing massive amounts of money, but I don't think they need to, because as we talked about earlier, it's, you're not looking necessarily for a like for like replacement because you may be replacing Ogba's nine sacks with three or four more from Jalen Phillips next season. Oh, plus, you know, an extra year of Javon Holland in the system, Brandon Jones getting better, you know, schematically, maybe another inside linebacker who can really run, whether that's a Nakobe Dean or a Devin Lloyd or who, you know. So, so yeah, I just keep an eye on guys like that, sort of under the radar, guys got similar snap counts, younger, you know, these guys are all in their uh, early to mid-20s. Um, yeah, I think there's um, uh, there's definitely players out there and I just don't think you're going to be looking at like for like. And it, they'll end up signing... What will happen is they'll end up signing a guy who actually has got some talent and can come in and, and play five, six, seven hundred snaps and be solid. And most of social media and most of the, um, the, the Patreon chat that we run will be like, who the fuck is this guy? And actually, you know, when you get him on the field, he'll be a solid contributor. Yeah, and I'm looking at this uh, this this list of reagent there's some big names in there too you know like Jadavian Clowney uh Mario Addison is interesting although he's 5,000 years old so I don't know you know and of course every every Dolphin fan's gonna be like oh you know just just go out and get Chandler Jones I and, look like, like William Goldston at Tampa Bay he's 30 five mm-hmm. and a half last season 507 snaps you know really solid rotational player um well, I mean, he's been more than a rotational player, really. But, you know, just a good player who can come in and, and, and do a job. He's not going to, you know, maybe not be quite as, um, you know, quite as effective in terms of rushing the passer as um, as uh, Emmanuel Ogba, but will certainly play a role in what they want to do. And, and look, Matt Burke, um, Matt Burke, fucking hell. Josh, Josh. Um, Boyer. Josh Boyer is, um, Matt Burke, where did that come from? Uh, Josh Boyer is used to, multi-fronted players, players who can play all along the line from, you know, from New England. It, it, it's a mix and match, a, you know, a hodgepodge is the wrong word, but guys who have got versatility, you can play inside out. You know, you look at years and years of what they did in New England in terms of, and the other guy to keep an eye on is Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers, who obviously played with Boyer or under Boyer in New England. The Dolphins were intently keen on bringing him when he became a free agent. There's rumours that he's going to get cut because of his salary from Detroit. If he hits the open market, there's a perfect scheme fit. He can come in and do exactly what Emmanuel Ogba did for the, the same amount of snaps and probably, you know, not much more money than Ogba's being paid currently. So um, I wouldn't worry too much about it if you're a fan thinking, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself if we don't sign Ogba. It's not the end of the world, guys. But yeah, by the there's way, three, there's three guys in Indianapolis too that yeah. Al Khan and uh, Muhammad and uh, and Taekwon Lewis, especially. Yeah. 
and uh, and then Kamoko Ture. I mean, you could look at any any of those three guys. They all can play different things, and they bring their different things to the table and move around. Yeah. And um, and I think that they, you know, any of them, any of them would probably fit here in one way or another. But I wonder um, about being two fifty though, don't you? Just with Ogba being two seventy seven. Which one? With uh, Al Qadir Mohammed being two fifty weight wise. Yeah, he's but, yeah, he's he's, um, he's a little bit he's a little bit under. But I mean, if you look at the way if you look at the way he plays, I don't think there's much of an issue here with uh, with his run defense. I mean, I think that he's yeah. he's a he's a strong player. Um, so I you know I don't know, but um, and he's got he's got a good frame, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Taekwon Lewis was another guy. He might he might be the probably the more most intriguing of the three to me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think there's definitely, there's definitely some options out there and free agents and, you know, what is, what is Jason Pierre Paul going to get paid at 33 years old? Yeah. And if you wanted to, if you wanted a, a, you know, a year rental or a one or two year rental or something like that, you know, he's, he's a phenomenal player. Um, so I, I don't know. Last season, you know, the guys, you know, again, he's not somebody who's just going to come in and play three snaps a game. Do you know what I mean? He was a significant mm-hmm. contributor. Yeah, and by the way, I've I've had some 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 of our listeners like you know try to troll us with Charles Harris. He absolutely doesn't fit the defense, so I would not expect that Charles Harris would get a look. But this guy might. Your thoughts, Simon, on Derek Barnett? We know Chris Greer liked him on draft day. I he's mean, a free agent. He's so inconsistent. That's the problem, and he's going to get people are going to talk themselves into giving him a significant amount of cash. And he's just not worth it. I don't think you, he's his contract versus his um, production is just not. It just doesn't marry up, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I, I tend to, I tend to agree. Yeah, I flagged him even coming out for for a lot of that. Like, and you know, I I was not necessarily a believer because of that. And I think there's been there's been years that he's had up there, like um, and games where where it, it looks like you know. Oh, you know, he's, he's looking really good, but then like Simon says that, that inconsistency is so, um, is so daunting. Yeah. And, uh, one last guy, Randy Gregory, uh, dolphin fans have been trying to hit us up on, on our three way PC Twitter account on Randy Gregory. I'm a, an absolute hard no on Randy Gregory, not a smart guy, a lot of penalties, a lot of dumb penalties, and he's been kind of a problem child. I don't know if you want to invest in a guy like that. He is already 29 years old, too. So who knows if his best football is behind him. I guess we could get your thoughts on, on Randy Gregory, Chris, and Simon, and then we can move on to the to the combine. Yeah, my thoughts on Randy Gregory is no, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a I think he's a fascinating player. I think when he's on, he he can be an absolute game changer. But like you say, the penalties and the off-field issues with the drugs and stuff, just, you know... Uh, not for me, and I, I just don't think giving somebody who's had so many problems a, a ton of money is is a wise thing to do. No, yeah, I completely agree. Because, you yeah. know, with the great people in the world, I think that Randy Gregory has, you know, probably has an illness that probably has a mental illness that he, you know, he finds difficult to control, and and that's okay. But I don't think throwing a ton of money at somebody who's been a, a habitual rule breaker and not been able to stop himself smoking marijuana. And look, you know, he's not out there bumming kids and he's not out there killing women. He's only smoking marijuana. But the rules of the, the NFL are the rules of the NFL and you can't break them unless, you know, so I don't see the point in spending 10, 12, 14 million pounds a year on eight or dollars, I mean, a year on a player who can't abide by the rules. 
Yeah, and and I go back to that game against uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Randy Gregory just I don't know what you call that. He he had a meltdown in that game. Um, he was absolutely dominating. I believe he had three sacks in that game. They could not block him. By the way, Teron Armstead was not in that game, so uh, you know don't say that <laughs> that it was Ter- it was Teron Armstead that was getting beat by Randy Gregory. But all of a sudden he starts getting fifteen yard penalty after fifteen yard penalty, and then he decides, you know what, I'm going to throw a punch. And he didn't get caught for throwing the punch, but he it was a complete meltdown. Like, who does that? Who tries to get 50 yards of penalties on one drive just because you're upset that somebody cut you on a run? But, yeah, that's that's Randy Gregory. No uh, for me. Interesting bit of news here. Byron Jones has just Instagrammed a couple of pictures of himself. Um, he's just had surgery on his lower left leg. Um, I'm trying to see exactly where it is. He's got incredibly pronounced shin bones because it does look like a massive, great cut across his shin bone. But actually, I'm not just sure if it's the edge of the bone. But he's got a completely shaved left leg, and he's put having a shaved leg is cool, but I'm not sure it's worth the free surgery afterwards. And now he's in a left leg walking boot with a pair of crutches as well. So don't is know it a walking is. boot or? It looks like a walk. Yeah, he's definitely got a walking boot on. Yeah. It makes you wonder about that that report that sort of came yeah. out, and that that was by Ben Volan, and people have their opinions by him about him. But uh, the report that J.C. Jackson could be somebody that they'd be interested in, and and really, it's just about it's not about like oh, we're using our resources on J.C. Jackson when we should be using them, you know, elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera. It would just be, it would essentially just be swap, like you know, yeah. hey, yeah. we're we're about to pay Byron Jones a lot of money. Instead, we're gonna you know not pay Byron Jones a lot of money and we're going to give that money to JC Jackson. But the other thing is, you know, you ha- you have to make sure you don't make the mistake again and you give Xavier Howard the same amount. <laughs> I, mean, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, and that's everybody's real. a, and, and, and two things. Uh, and then we'll move on to the combine here. Uh, I forgot to mention this. Um, Chris, if you have it handy, what's the Marcus Lawrence's situation? Cause it seems like, David Cantor and the Dolphins are all kumbaya. Maybe they could get together on something there because the Cowboys look like it's Keystone cops over there. Like they don't know who to pay, what they got to do. All we know is that, and by the way, that's complete BS. What they're putting out today that they have like half the league ready to trade for Amari Cooper. That's nonsense. Uh, I don't know how many teams are willing to pay. And I know Amari Cooper is a fabulous wide receiver to pay him in excess of $20 million. No. Uh, I think he'll get cut. And there's a, if you want to know about Lawrence, yes. like there's an, there's an out there. I mean, there's, there's an out for the Cowboys and like this year in particular, um, they've got, they still got, they paid him a signing bonus, obviously a long time ago. Uh, and they've got 10 million of it left to, uh, to actually officially expense against the cap. Um, but you know they owe him 19 million this year and 21 million this year, both cash. Uh, and so, uh, well, you know, now that I look at it, there's there's a restructure and there's a restructure bonus. That's, dead money as well if if they get if they cut him. Yeah, well, there's a restructure bonus in there too. So there's nine. So in addition to the 10 million of uh, signing bonus that hasn't been expensed yet, there's nine million of restructure bonus that hasn't been expensed yet. So essentially, if I mean, if having to accelerate. Having to accelerate $19 million against your cap uh, all in one year versus, you know, just keeping him and paying him $19 million more of salary this year, I, I think they're probably going to lean toward paying him. 
um and, and that that or it would take a hell of an offer to get him to to get him out of Dallas I don't and I don't see it happening it may be attractive for the Dolphins from the Dolphins standpoint and depending on how they feel about paying a guy 20 million a year over the next two years but um but yeah it's uh, I, I I just wouldn't I wouldn't really see it all right and yeah and we'll have plenty of time to talk about Amari Cooper and the rest of the the prospective free agents on our next show next week so we'll move on here to the combine uh simon did you watch the combine your thoughts overall and then i guess we could start with offensive linemen um i watched some of it but obviously they moved it to a late window so it makes it much more difficult for me to watch because it wasn't finished until three o'clock in the morning um you know and fuck that in the off season um so it's bad enough in the regular season than in the off season what i thought about the offensive line um you know offensive linemen people extolling the virtues of offensive linemen running 40 yard dashes is about the least interesting thing as <laughs> I cut my toenails um, you know kind of guys who I thought were going to be good were good and guys who I thought were going to be shit were shit um, and you know I, I thought you know is it a surprise that Ikemi Kwonu looks athletic uh, no uh, is it a surprise that um, you know uh, Abraham Lucas uh maxes out in the sort of top one percentile of, of offensive tacklers in the last 15 years. Uh, no, if you've watched any of Abraham Lucas play the game, is it a surprise that Cam Jurgens did really well given his athletic profile? Absolutely not. Um, so, you know, I thought that the players I expected to play well or play well, <laughs> who am I kidding? These are dudes <laughs> running around in shorts. Um, the, the guys I expected to, to look good you know, Charles Cross looked fantastic. His feet were great. Um, you know, that's exactly what I expected him to to turn up and do. You know, the smaller school guys, I think Penning and, and Ryman looked good. I thought Sean Ryan looked good. Um, the UCLA guy. Um, you know, so no, I mean, there was nothing where Kellen Deitch, I thought, I thought looked nice. Um, I was surprised that a guy like Mac, Max Mitchell ran slowly. Um, I thought Kenyon Green is who Kenyon Green is. I thought, Zion, you know, if you've watched Boston College, you watched any of the senior ball practices, then nothing Zion Johnson did should be a surprise. If you've watched Lester Smith at Virginia Tech, nothing should be a surprise about what he did. Um, you know, Cole Strange did really well. The, the, the centre at Kentucky is a really good player. Boom, he showed up and did a really good job. Um, so, no, there was nothing really that, that, that shocked me. Um, I think it was a shame that Tyler Linderbaum didn't run um i thought dylan palm did a nice job but yeah i mean yeah um, by the way are you are you surprised that this was officially the fastest combine in the history of the nfl the average 40 yard dash time was 4.71 seconds i mean it's not a shock that a human beings are getting faster b turf is getting faster to run on but also c there was clearly a massively monstrous fuck up with all the timings and mm-hmm. charlie Cathy mm-hmm. wasn't actually doing the nfl network's timings anymore they just got some dude who was on work experience to do it <laughs> and like you know, some fat guy runs a four six two and everyone's like jesus christ he's 400 pounds and it turns out his official time is like five by the way that that like, some dude that you're talking about was mark ross former general manager of the new york yeah, Jets. I mean, <laughs> Chris Olave running a 426 and then it being rounded out to a, what was it, 439 or a fourth? I mean, that's massively massive. Yeah. I and mean, that's not a tiny little bit. I mean, what's wrong with Mark Ross's fingers? Are they like really fat and he can't press, the, or is he not strong enough to press the stop button or something? Or I don't know. It's really weird. 
So, I mean, that just made, like the whole thing became, it, I, I find the combine so interesting and there are obviously interesting elements to it, but most of the interesting elements, like there's the kind of the, there's the, there's the titillation of the forties, which is like, Oh, there's a bit of cleavage. <laughs> the actual most important things are often the footwork drills. You look at defensive end, like David Ajabo running the hoop drill, for example, showed a bit, a little bit of the stiffness that you see at the top of his arc and his hips and in his ankles. Same with George Karlaftis. Um, you know, other guys who are Boye Mafe looking really smooth and, you know, so things like that, I, th- I find it really interesting. What yeah. I thought was a problem is that a, the talk about moving the combine from Indianapolis is an absolute shit show. It should never move from Indianapolis. Uh, and it certainly should never move to Los Angeles, which is the most difficult city in the world to get across, probably apart from Kiev at the moment. Um, and number two is the A, 2A is don't invite fans. It's stupid. 2B, do not play music. That is ridiculous. Uh, and three, there is just a better way of making it a TV spectacle because what's going to happen very soon is that general managers and coaches are going to get really fucked off with the fact that, you know, there's music playing, they can't hear who's working out and they're just not going to bother turning up. I mean, you see how few NFL head coaches are at the the scouting, co- at, at the, um, at the senior bowl. It's going to be the same for the combine because they'll just need, they'll just stay at home and get ready for, get ready for free agency. They do not need to come to the combine. And then that just ruins it as a, as a TV spectacle for, for the NFL network because they need to be able to talk about a player or talk about a team and they'll be able to cut to the to the boxes and there's Arthur Smith and there's Mike McDaniel and there's, you know, Carl Shanahan and there's Bill Belichick and whatever. And if they don't turn up, then you no longer have a TV spectacle. So I think the NFL will be very careful about the combine. Yeah, I'm ready for the combine 2023 in Las Vegas. Yeah. I don't think it'll be anywhere other than Indianapolis for the next couple of years. Well, then they won't see me. <laughs> You've been in Indianapolis, by the way, Simon? No, but it's a city I really want to go to. But also, it, it's a perfect city for the combine because everywhere the convention center and the stadium are connected by those skywalks to everybody's hotel. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have mm. to have a hire car. Los Angeles, is, I mean, it's a great city, but fucking hell. I mean, it's like... For people that know this, to go from Calabasas on one side of LA to San Bernardino on the other side, which is essentially the sort of starting and finishing points of Los Angeles, if you live in England, is the same distance as it takes to go from Manchester to Birmingham, which takes an hour and a half to drive. I mean, can you imagine a city that big, like from from Hermosa Beach, Venice Beach area, just to get to SoFi Stadium, six miles away, it takes forty five minutes. It took two fucking hours <laughs> to get to Universal Studios for the um, for the Super Bowl media party. It's like, come on, guys, stop taking the piss. You know, can you imagine Bill Belichick sitting in two hours of traffic to get to SoFi Stadium? I mean, and he's certainly not staying in Inglewood. With greatest respect to people that live in Inglewood, that is not a place where NFL head coaches are going to stay for a week. So Indy is perfect. And everybody that goes there says Indy is perfect. So why the NFL will want to change it beyond cash is, is you know, Dallas is the other city people talk about. Dallas, another massive city. I mean, the fucking stadium's not even in Dallas. It's in Fort Worth. So, you know, come on, let's be real. And if you do it in Las Vegas, you know, at least everybody could, you know, could walk from the casinos to the stadium, you know. So, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Chris, did you see any of this? Any thoughts on the combine? I mean, I did see, I did see some of it. I mean, in particular, if we're talking about offensive linemen, I think that, um, you know, I've always made myself pretty pretty clear that um that i like uh that i like uh, like for example i we can't look at we can't get obsessed about charles cross who i think is the i mean simon would agree with me i think is the best tackle in the draft 100%. Um, yeah and and i think 
we can't really we can't really get too caught up in him um, or certainly Evan Neal or EK Iguano. Um, but when you get below that, it's it, it does get interesting because there there's some there's going to be a lot of people disagreeing about whether it's whether it's Trevor Trevor Penning or uh, Tyler Smith or um, or whether it's uh, you know Abe Lucas or Bernard Ryman. Um, you know, guys like that or Darian Kennard. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, I think that how they did in the combine and Abe Lucas, I thought was the, the extent <laughs> that I guess the, um, Stad. just how good the combine was, was eye opening. Like, I, I understand thinking that he's, he's going to have a good showing, but, um, but just how good it was, was, was really eye opening. Um, I thought that Ryman had a, really good showing and and this is a guy that to me has has reminded me a lot of you know i'm getting i'm getting visions back of what it was like watching sebastian volmer you know coming out of uh coming out of college um also being a little bit of an older guy being a guy that people you know say is is really raw etc and but um but in that you know in actuality comes into the nfl he plays right away um i think that uh I think those, those are the guys that had my eye, uh, you know, Zion Johnson, you're not really surprised by anything that he does there. Um, the lateral, the lateral abilities of that guy are, are phenomenal. I don't know if he can play, if he's going to play center or not in this offense, I don't think they're going to try and move a guy to center and play him as a rookie. It just seems like, uh, you know, as I go back and look at it, the, there's way too much. There's way too much on their need for for a center to be experienced and um, and and really on it from an IQ standpoint. And this is nothing against Zion Johnson at all. Uh, it, it's just you know moving to the position for the first time as a rookie in the NFL. I don't think they're going to get what they need there. So um, so but overall uh, offensive line, I don't know how you feel, Simon, uh, but I, I find myself just looking at guys that I think can play right tackle because, frankly, you know, I, I think Dolphins are going all in on Tur- Teron Armstead at left tackle. And I look at the other positions uh, along the offensive line and what they have, and I think that they can they can take care of that. But I look at the free agency at right tackle and it's terrible mm. to, to, you know for lack of better word um and and what the dolphins have and coming from what the dolphins have you know i don't think they ultimately want to move robert hunt there um they're certainly not going to move jesse day or play jesse davis there again uh and and liam eichenberg after after kind of having a challenging season at left tackle as a rookie as he did um, you're going to move him to right tackle and have him protect to his blind side. And, and that's your plan a, you know, that like, that's your, you know, I understand if he's part of the part of the competition, you know, that's yeah. one thing, but that's your plan a like that. Yeah. That's going with mm-hmm. it's, it's too much at stake and no, I don't I see agree. it happening. So, uh, so I just, I just find myself looking at uh, looking at the right tackles in particular at um at the combine and in the draft and uh and guys that i think can play right tackle and and so there's a few of them but you're, you're gonna have to get one pretty early and to me abraham lucas is a day one nfl ready right tackle he's a four-year mm. starter he's one of the safest picks in the draft you only have to watch his film you watch him against thibodeau you watch him against drake jackson he is just such a good player 
Uh, he's he's so big, but he produces and absorbs force really well. He moves really well. Um, and people say, oh, well, you know, that he played in that air raid offense, which puts linemen in wide splits, obviously greater distances for defenders to cover. So it makes it look like tackles are better. Well, that's true. He did. He absolutely did. But then Mike Leach departed to Miss- Mississippi State and Nick Rolovich brought in an offense which uses much tighter, slit, uh, uh, tighter splits, which gives its linemen far more opportunities to slip up and get beaten by tackles. And he absolutely stoned Kayvon Thibodeau, who everybody has been talking about as a top five pick, who I actually think might end up falling out of the top 10 as it goes. Um, but, I mean, he's still a first-round player. Uh, to me, Abe Lucas is an absolute day-one NFL star. He's just a monster. And I would... I mean, he's my fourth-rated overall tackle in the draft. I have him above Ryman and Penning just because of the way that certain teams would value right tackles systematically, quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I also just think he's that good. You know, you look at the numbers. He ran a 4.30 short, short shuttle at Spark. You know, he, he was abs- his, his People aren't talking. People are talking about Jordan Davis and quite rightly so. Trayvon Walker. You know, great. You know, Troy Anderson, the Montana State linebacker, et cetera, et cetera. People are not talking about Abraham Lucas's workout nearly as much as they should do. An NFL scout messaged me whilst I was watching the combine and I saw Lucas's workout and said, has there been a better right tackle blocking in space since Tyron Smith in university? And I couldn't think of one. And it's true. He is a is just a tremendous player. And if the Dolphins were to use the 29th pick on him, I, I would be absolutely jumping for joy. I mean, that he just answers the, the question right away, especially if they bring in Terrell Armstead they bring in Ryan Jensen, as it looks like they're possibly going to do. Rob Hunt at, at right guard. Um, you take Abe Lucas and stick him out there at right tackle, and then you let the best man uh, of whoever's left, Eichenberg, Austin Jackson, you know, Kindley, whoever at left guard in between Jensen and, and Armstead, and, uh, and let's see where we go. Yeah. Uh, closing this out, because we're gonna have we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about all these draft prospects, and there was a few guys that caught my eye. One guard that did catch my, eye, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on him, Simon, is Zach Thomas, San Diego State. He looked good as a you know as far as a mover for a big guy. He's six five, three hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, uh, he's kind of a late. I've done a little bit of him, but not a lot of him. I mean, I, I like the top end of the the guard class in terms of you know Green Johnson. Lester Smith, who we talked about, Jamari Salio, who played so well at left tackle for, for Georgia, the the big kid at LSU, Ed Ingram, although there's some significant off the field issues, he got arrested for two counts of aggra- aggravated assault against a minor. Um, in fact, he gets two minors, um, two sisters, the kid at UT Chattanooga, Cole Strange is a really interesting player, Logan Brass at Wisconsin. But you go down the list, you know, you find, you know, Andrew Stoiber at Michigan, Josh Azudu at North Carolina. These are guys that you could, you know, Marcus McKethan at North Carolina, who played on the other side. I mean, there's the kid at San Diego State. I mean, he doesn't fit our system, but you go to someone like Baltimore, um, Will Bill Dunkel. I mean, he is the absolute pancake monster. He had Pro Football Focus's highest run blocking grade, not just last year, in the PFF era last year. I mean, this is a guy who at 330 pounds will come down and smash you in the face down after down. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this is the guy that the Dolphins will be looking at. But, you know, there are players, there are guards that you can find anywhere. And there's also a good array of centres as well. And, and it may be, you look at a guy like Dylan Parham, who's my second-rated centre. You know, he's really a guard. He's played a bit of centre. But, you know, guys like that that are versatile, that's what teams are looking for, a bit of versatility. Um, you know, so 
there's definitely players out there. And, and look, historically, teams have done that. You look at the best teams, they're not spending, uh, I can't remember what the figure was, but somebody tweeted the other day about the, the top four teams over the last two years in the that were in the AFC and NFC Championship games. It's like two first-round picks in total. And I mean, that's not the right figure, but something ridiculously low on you know their offensive lines. You've just got to know where to find them. And as we've discussed, ad infinitum on this show, Miami to this point has not had a clue as to how to scout offensive line. <laughs> no, no, that's Fair. to say the least. Fair. All right. All right. On the way out here, I guess we're closing it out here. And I guess next week we'll talk free agency. We'll be heavy into free agency. The entire show will be on the um, free agents. One thing that you took away that surprised you from this combine. And I guess we could close out here. What was that one thing, Chris? Cause I'll, I'll say mine, how fast these running backs are. I don't remember a, a class, a running back class that had this much speed in it. Like, you know, you could throw a rock and get a guy that, that fits the system. Uh, your thoughts, Chris, one thing that surprised no, you from the combine. I mean, that's a good one, but I'll turn it around and, and like their, their counterpart on the defense. And like, there's, there's some speed at the linebacker um, position as well. Um, that I liked. All right. And Simon. Yeah. I'd say Georgia's defense, essentially. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's Georgia, just Georgia, Georgia, but Georgia's defense specifically. I mean, again, people aren't talking about it as much, but, but, um, Trayvon Walker of Georgia had one of the greatest combines I've ever seen in terms of what he did. I mean, his combo platter of versatility, speed, power, and literally off the charts. I mean, he's in the top one percentile in pretty much everything was just astonishing. And, and it underlines how insane that defense is when you look at Jermaine Johnson of Florida State, who had to transfer from Georgia because he wasn't getting any playing time and will be a legitimate top 10 pick in this draft. I mean, he is a legitimate, he dominated the senior bowl practices. He was phenomenal at the combine. Uh, he'll be a top 10 pick and he couldn't even get on the field. For, I mean, he had four starts in two years for Georgia. That's how good that defense, that was the takeaway. I mean, Tyndall, Derion Kendrick, Lewis Sign, the safety, you know, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Day. I mean, these guys, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. All right. That's it. Next time we talk to you, we're going to be heavy into free agency. We'll be right on the eve of free agency the next time we talk to you. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.